Welcome to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. This podcast may contain swearing, plus it will be filled with lots of interesting chat. All the views are expressed to our own and are not those of our institutions or employers. You're welcome to share your own views in the comment box on the website. And if you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe. And you can find out more on our website, innerzonepodcast.com. Or on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also like us on Facebook. So, without further ado, here's this week's episode. So, hello everyone and welcome to the In The Zone podcast with me, Mike Ryder. And me, Josh Hughes. In today's episode, we're also joined by special guest, Kate Milroy, who is a vet working in the charity sector. She's also, I should note, dear podcast listeners, uh, my sister, um, <laughs> which, uh, which is why we were able to sort of get access to her and ask her lots of interesting questions about animals. So... In today's episode, I think we might talk a little bit about dangerous dogs. And this is something that ties in with some previous podcasts that we've done, especially the one we did with um, Emma several weeks ago about um, the language we use around animals and dying and death and things like this. But it also links in with this concept of, well, what, what a dangerous dog is, how we define a dangerous dog, and is it really the dog's fault? Um, there's lot, there's lots, there's lots to sort of un, un, uncover here, I think, and uh, lots of uh, topics to to, to, to unravel. Um, so Kate, what, what, so Kate, I think probably maybe the first question is, I mean, what, what's your experience dealing with dangerous dogs? Is there such a thing as a dangerous dog, or or what is one in in, in legal terms, anyway? So it's a big question. I mean, legally, there is the Dangerous Dogs Act which lists sort of a, a number of breeds, including um, the Japanese Tozer and Pitbull Terrier types in the hyphens there, um, in quote marks, sorry. Um, and basically in, in the UK, these breeds are not allowed to exist anymore. Um, so where these dogs are sort of found and identified, um, they are seized by, by police. Um, and in the majority of cases that relates um sort of results in their actually I would say it's a vet euthanasia, but I'm I'm conscious of your your recent uh podcast with uh with uh, Claire talking about the killing of animals. Um and the police wouldn't 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 call it euthanasia either. Um it would more be sort of destruction of, of these dogs. Or execution even. Yeah, I believe I believe they normally describe it as destruction in in, in the dangerous dogs situation. Yeah, they, they do, I, yeah, I was I mean, being provocative because in a way, in human terms, it's essentially executing just for being alive, um, which I think is what makes it so controversial because it's, a, it's essentially a kind of form of sort of dog racism or sort of speciesism in a sense of, if this dog type exists in and is found to exist, that in itself is a legitimate reason to put that dog to death. It's more than yeah. sort of, Speciesism, isn't it? It's it's, it's eugenics, really. Mm. Um, in, but, yeah. but enshrined in law. Yeah, which is really. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it is. A, it's, it links in sorry. with. Sorry, please, Kate, go on. <laughs> sorry, it's the lag on the on the, on the conversation. Um, but yes, it, it it basically, it's these dogs' behaviour is is irrelevant. Um, it's nothing to do with what they do or or, or how they act. It is is literally just their breed. Um, you, 
you can get special circumstances if you do sort of certain applications, particularly with the pitbull element, um, because it isn't that distinct a, a breed. Um, it's more a, a type of, of dog and a, a type of appearance, which is a bit of a grey area in itself. Um, but there is a, a way of, of appealing and, and, and getting a special condition where you can keep these dogs alive. Um, and then they then have to sort of spend their lives on the lead. They have to wear a muzzle at all times and another sort of various um, special special restrictions on, on their ownership. Um, but that is quite a long process to go through and it's not something that gets agreed for, for every dog by a long means. That's really interesting. Um... Because I mean, I presume this the list of of breeds and stuff has been collated because um, previous examples of dogs of of these particular breeds, whether it be sort of particular aggression or or fighting or or you know being um, yeah being particularly used for fighting or whatever. Um, but it's really it's I mean it's fascinating that it's because of a uh, you know genetic heritage and stuff. Um, so, I mean, are you aware of whether this list of breeds sort of extends to to crossbreeds with these with this these sort of outlaw outlawed types of breeds? You know, if if, if when you mentioned pit bulls, if a, I don't know a pit bull breed bred with a a poodle or something that's known to be a much more uh, placid, um, it was is that also sort of included? Do you, do you know? So. It's not something I, I know too much about on, on, on the specifics of that. Um, the, the difficulty is with, with pit bulls in particular, um, because there's a, a lot of a, a grey area with them overlapping with sort of um, Staffordshire Bull Terriers um, and with with dogs that are identified, there is a an issue sometimes as to whether is this dog actually a pit bull or is it a a Staffordshire Bull Terrier is this dog allowed to exist or not basically um, and that comes down to, to the judgment of the of the police and enforcers involved um, looking at a list of characteristics basically of what makes this dog a pit bull and what doesn't. Fascinating so so how do they sort of make that decision? I mean what do you know what type of characteristics they are that they look at? I, I don't know the, the specifics of it to be honest with you um, I know it's it's to do with sort of their their face shape and their ears and and, and body shape and, and things like that. Um, but if you if you sort of look at a, a pit bull and you look at a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, um, it's it's quite easy to see that if a if a Staffordshire Bull Terrier was bred with a a bigger dog like an, an, a bull mastiff, for instance, they might then begin to look like a pit bull terrier. And then the the question is, are they then sort of not allowed to exist because they look like a pit bull terrier or should they be allowed to exist and pit bull terriers still are not even though they basically look the same um so it's a it's a very gray area and a, a very contentious issue amongst sort of um animal welfare activists and i think for good reason to be honest with you because it's a it's a very interesting stance on a, a very complicated topic yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're sort of talking about this, the face shapes that, that people look at um, to make this determination about whether it's a pit bull or a, or a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, for example. Um, you know, yesterday I was I was scanning through a paper about um, companies that use AI to try and determine um, criminal pe people with a 
prevalence of criminal behavior from their face shape um you know and in that situation we consider it to be completely ridiculous how could you um you know evaluate someone's personality from their face shape and yet here we are quite happy to do it with dogs it's quite interesting I yeah it's, absolutely. About the, it's, a, it's a, something to do with the you know genetic link between the, pre the prevalence for violent conduct that's been previously expressed in this breed and and the fact that that seems to have a link with um their face shape but it's um yeah fascinating stuff I mean, I mean uh, there's, there's probably going to be say, some AI company who would be uh, interested in doing in doing face recognition of pit bulls. There was, I mean, there are so many different strands to come from this. I mean, as you mentioned that, Josh, I was just thinking of a, his name was Lombroso, I think it was, from Victorian age, where they, there was this, this period where they used to think like criminality could be associated with sort of certain facial features and that it was something that was almost like inheritable. But of course... yeah. It's, um, I heard someone describe sort of this use of AI as digital phrenology, which I thought was, was a really yeah, good Yeah, phrenology. Term. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, but it, and it's, I mean, there's there's so many issues here, especially with this idea that actually they're not even looking at the genetics, really. They're just basing their decisions about whether something lives or dies based on what it looks like. And if it looks vaguely like the thing that we think it is, even if it isn't the thing that we think it is. I mean, can you imagine if we were doing this with humans? It's just madness yeah it is it is very extreme and it's not something that i as a, a vet or an animal lover agree with by a long shot um you dangerous dogs basically in not in legal terms in in sort of realistic terms of this dog is is aggressive to to people to to other human to other animals sorry etc i i do not believe that something that just comes down to what breed it is. It's very much um, related to, to to nurture, really, as as more than sort of nature and, and genetics. I believe um, in terms of how they're they're brought up when they're when they're young and how they're cared for for as they as they continue growing. Um, I don't think it's it's necessarily uh, possible to just look at a, a dog and and their appearance and say, yeah, this dog's gonna bite a child next week. Um, we should euthanize it now. Yeah, and this is something that's really interesting, I think, because um, obviously there will be lots of dogs out there that are what you'd say are dangerous in the way that they act, that aren't necessarily on this dangerous dogs list and vice versa, as you say. I mean, maybe you could say, OK, there's a slightly higher tendency of these aggressive, of these certain breeds of dogs to be aggressive. But as you say, I mean, it raises a big ethical question, really, when it comes to stuff you read in the news around dangerous dogs and dog attacks and things like this around the role of the owners and um the sort of the upbringing of dogs obviously dogs can experience trauma as much as we can and obviously they, they can um sort of take on sort of personality traits of their owners and among other things um but then it makes you wonder about well responsibility and things and i know in a previous podcast we were talking about how your job as a vet is often dealing with owners as much as it is really dealing with the animals and the issues relating to animals and I just wonder what all this says about the owners and where we are as a society when we're, we're almost using the dogs as a scapegoat for what is essentially a human failing. Yeah it, it, it is interesting because um, there isn't that much sort of um, culpability for, for, for the human when for instance I have um, an owner bring their, their dog in they, they may say 
the the dog's aggressive they want it put to sleep a bit a human a bit a child etc um but there's no real follow-up to that from from our point of view there's nothing we can do to to follow that up um in terms of what what happens to the this human um what happens when they when they get another dog um what's going to happen to that dog is that dog going to be raised differently um or are we going to be in the same situation again in, in in a couple of years time um as a as i said in in the last podcast my charity practice we, we very much focus on on education as much as we possibly can um and trying to prevent sort of severe behavioral problems like this um but we're doing that with a very time constrained financially limited um way as a as a non-government funded charity so there's there's real limitations from from that perspective as to what we can do to prevent this and it, it can become a, a recurring problem mm. so there's loads of social factors that feed into this i think and it goes far beyond the realm of veterinary medicine and the things that you do on a day-to-day basis because i think there's a big overlap here as we were saying before with well, I mean, with sort of social work, really, and sort of how society functions, because in a way, what we're seeing with these animals often is it's, it's a reflection of, sort of wider issues within these families, within these home settings. And what and you're sort of almost just you're almost just sort of treating a symptom and not necessarily the cause of the issue itself. Um, I, I don't know what you think about that, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I was just um, whilst we were sort of having the conversation about um, faces earlier, I, was, I looked at a picture of these different dogs. Um, and, you know, a website came up that sort of said about how these dogs are thought to be dangerous because um, some of them have been used in fighting previously or in hunting. Um, and as you say, that's and that's I'm not sure if that's it's perhaps correct to describe those activities as symptoms, but um, it's um, the effect of, of the history of using those dogs in those situations seems to be you know, why they're treated as as, um, as dangerous today. And, and as we've said, you know, already in this podcast, it's, it's that seems to be a proxy for, um, or a, a, a sort of a, a rough tool and a, a you know, a, you know it's, it's a big hammer to crack a small nut, really, I suppose, isn't it? It's that the small hammer is dog behavior in the, 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 sorry, the small nut is the dog's behavior and the big hammer is, well, this, this, breed is probably going to be dangerous because it's been aggressive in the past um but yeah i suppose linking it to behavior i mean yeah 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 i think i think you're right actually it probably is a, a symptom of, of owner's behavior because just because a particular type of dog was used for hunting or fighting previously doesn't mean it's going to be aggressive in the future um i mean i say that as somebody who's not really got that much experience with dogs other than as one that was quite a placid pet but um yeah i suppose it, in some ways it comes down to that kind of nature versus nurture debate doesn't it and if, if and you know they're being banned on based on a natural predic or predication towards aggressiveness that's been let's say um obviously the the effect of why that's going to come out is probably going to be from nurture isn't it so yeah i think there is kind of an element of um not dealing properly with um the sort of the issues that are going to come out because yeah it can't, yeah 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 i agree with you but i'm not sure how to phrase it <laughs> yeah i mean definitely i think with the dangerous dog that dogs act it was very much sort of a a blanket approach to try and deal with a very much larger problem um 
that couldn't really be dealt with in, in such a blanket way. Um, and there have been a lot of sort of other repercussions from that. Um, so, for instance, I've already sort of mentioned the, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier um, in some sort of crossbreeds can can look more like a pit bull terrier and, and, and can have detriment to that animal in that way. Um, but also just a wider perception from from people um, has sort of caused this, this link between Staffordshire's and, and pit bulls and them being dangerous. So there's quite a, a large amount of people that then think that Staffordshire bull terriers are dangerous because they've been told pit bull terriers are dangerous. Um, and there's been a lot of work in the sort of uh, animal rescue sector in particular to try and remove this sort of fear of, of staffies and, and help people sort of understand that they're not dangerous just because this Dangerous Dogs Act exists. Um, they're actually sort of really lovely, friendly um, pets in, in, in almost all situations. Um, but then just like with literally any dog breed, if they're not brought up in, in the right way or they have bad experiences happen to them at, at critical times, um, then, then that might not be the case, and they can be aggressive. But it's, it's as you as you've already sort of alluded to, it is in a, in a way sort of quite a, a racist, I suppose, um, approach. Yeah, I was just going to mention about the dog breeding actually, because I, obviously I, I know from having spoken to you before about the issue of breeding and stuff. I mean, from one angle, what we're talking about here is Josh was talking about nature versus nurture, and I was just thinking, well, the nature of these so-called dangerous dogs has been nurtured by humans artificially to selectively breed them to make them dangerous. So ultimately, we created them. Um, but I was just thinking beyond dangerous dogs as well, actually, and there, there's what you might describe as also a, a sort of a dangerous trend now of breeding other types of dogs that have congenital uh, defects, which is becoming increasingly common in sort of the veterinary medicine world. And I was thinking, for example, Kate, because I know you've mentioned to me before about uh, dogs with very flat noses mm -hmm. and dogs that are bred for uh, sort of like dog shows um, because all these little handbag type dogs that are sort of rat sized that aren't, they're barely dogs, really. I mean, I don't think they're much like dogs, but this sort of trend of dogs as fashion accessories and the way that we are breeding them and now actually we're causing harm to these animals because of the way they've been bred. Um, which, which again is a human problem, but the sort of dog has to suffer as a consequence, much as the dangerous dogs do. And I wonder if maybe you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the breeding of of dogs is very sort of controversial in in what's happened, really. I mean, it, as you say, we've got now a lot of these these flat faced dogs, um, which are called brachycephalics. Um, so your pugs, your French bulldogs, your British bulldogs. Everything that basically looks like it's run into a wall is what we call a brachycephalic. Um, the the reason that these dogs have have become so popular in a way is because they've got that sort of baby type appearance where they've got the really big bulgy eyes um, and they've got more of a, a baby face. Um, is sort of a what we believe to be the the reason for them to sort of become so popular. The issue is that their appearance has been sort of prioritised rather than any consideration towards the, the health of these dogs. Um, so, for instance, with with the brachycephalics, where their nose is all squashed, they've still got a really massive tongue in, in their mouth and a really, really long soft palate, so the soft bit at the top of your mouth. 
Um, and that then overlaps onto their um, epiglottis and causes that really loud sort of snoring type breathing that they are, you will always hear them doing. Um, so they're, they're constantly trying to sort of pant it to get the air through because they've not got much of a hole there. Their noses tend to be really, really tiny, so they've not got much of a hole there. Um, and then they can get a lot of problems secondary to this. Um, and then quite a lot of them also will have what we call a hypoplastic trachea, which basically means that the, their windpipe is a, a lot narrower than, than it should be. Um, and all of these problems basically result in a, a dog that is constantly trying to oxygenate itself properly, but very much struggling to. Um, and they particularly struggle in the heat because um, for dogs, they, they can't sweat out of their, their bodies. They can sweat from their pores, but that's the only place. So their main heat control mechanism is, is to pant and that's how they release their heat. Um, but where these dogs have their upper respiratory tract so sort of damaged and, and mutated, um, they can't really pant effectively. And these dogs are real sort of victims of, of heat stroke and, and can rapidly sort of um, faint um, and, and sort of some cases can even even sort of die from, from, from heat stroke just because they cannot physically get that warm air out because their, their, their panting system just doesn't work. Sorry, did you have something to add to that, Josh? No, not really. Just that it's um, it's, it's pretty grim, isn't it? That um, people have allowed this sort of situation to develop and and exist, and I suppose foment it as well through the fact that these dogs have become, you know, increasingly popular, and so the breeding of them is going to continue. And I guess probably a lot of people who buy them probably don't realise, you know, hear the breeding, but don't the breathing issue but don't really connect that to you know what the reality of it i think yeah and, there's just, and, yeah i was gonna say there's the supply and demand isn't there so the more people like them and the more they buy the more people will breed them like this and the more problems there'll be so you're selectively causing harm you're causing harm to animals um although not in this case because they're dangerous as such but it's dangerous to the animal because you're you're breeding them with congenital defects and i mean I know you've also mentioned other breeds, Kate, before, like the ones that sort of get arthritis and dodgy hips and things. Um, again, because of the the, the the breeding process and sort of what we've done to these animals, um, it, it's quite shocking, really. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the real difficulty is that these, um, what what are basically defects, congenital defects, are being seen as as normal and, and desirable. So, yeah, as you say, because because people like the way they look, they're breeding them more and more and more and we're seeing more and more and more of them and then having to deal with the the issues afterwards so so just for instance in the using the brachycephalics as we've already been speaking about them quite a lot of these these dogs need surgery um to increase their sort of airflow through 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 their upper respiratory tract just to be able to live reasonably normal lives um so we're, we're we're almost doing sort of plastic surgery on, on these animals because um, we're widening their noses and we're um, shortening their soft palates to, to try and improve their, their ability just, just to breathe. Um, and then people are continuing to, to breed them to, to have these defects. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very sad and difficult situation. Um, so how common is it to do that, those sorts of, as you say, plastic surgeries? Yeah, so I mean, for instance, uh, in the charity practice I work at, we'd probably do two or three a month. Wow. Um, we always sort of new to them at the same time to prevent them 
then passing on this obvious genetic defect. Um, but many other sort of private practices, referral practices will, will also be doing this surgery um, across the country and, and not necessarily sort of encouraging the neutering as well. I mean, it seems to me like it's it's really link a question of education for human beings, really. Um, and, and until we we stop sort of fetishizing, sort of making these certain dog breeds as being sort of somehow um, desirable to own, I mean, it's, it's educating people that actually there's a lot of harm for the dog itself, and actually it's not a pleasant life to sort of have these breathing difficulties and sort of to breed these dogs. And we need to sort of cut the demand down somehow. I mean, the same thing applies with the, with, the, with the dangerous dogs as well. I mean, I think there was a stage, wasn't there, really, where some people maybe promote breeding them just because uh, there's a status symbol attached to owning a dog of a certain type that looks a certain way, I think, among a certain sort of group of people around. And as you say, I think that there's, there's a real education element here to um, sort of teach, teach people that these aren't, these aren't the right ways. I mean, this isn't even to start on the, the topic of puppy farms, which I know is another big area that... Um, that you have a lot of concerns about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, a big sort of driving force for for the popularity of of the sort of brachycephalics in in particular is is just sort of social media and, and television and the celebrity culture, and um, that so many of them now have these pugs in their Instagram pictures and French bulldogs on on adverts and, and things like this, and that's part of the drive for for the breeding of more and more of these dogs um and to the to their own detriment these these dogs then do tend to have a really nice nature they do tend to be very sort of friendly docile type dogs um and i think that's that's almost worked against them because it's 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 aided in their popularity whereas if you compare them to um a sharpay for instance um you also sort of have a slightly sort of squashed faces but they also have very very tiny ears and um, lots of skin folds on their faces that tend to sort of obstruct their eyesight their eyelids tend to roll in and um, they have really sort of horrible horrible skin disease most of the time and um, and this breed of dog we quite often well we much more often see sort of aggression in um so they're not we've not got that same sort of level of popularity um, so I, I do think that the docile nature of, of, of pugs and Frenchies has almost worked against them in a way with that. Right. I mean, so just having, uh, sorry, carry sorry, on, having discussed sort of dogs that we shouldn't buy, what dogs should we buy? Uh, so, general recommendation. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So uh, I personally, as, as Mike's alluded to with the puppy farming, I'm very much on, on, on the board of rescuing and, and, and adopting dogs. So. Um, there, as I said, there's there's thousands and, and thousands and thousands of, of, of dogs and rescues across the UK that, that need homes and that don't have homes. Um, dogs of all ages, dogs of all breeds are, are there and waiting. Um, and thousands of them every year get put to sleep just because they don't have a home. Um, that is something I'm particularly passionate about. Um, in terms of sort of healthier appearances, um, generally, um, we do sort of go quite a lot for, for crossbreeds, but that does open another can of worms in, in all these sort of designer crossbreeds that have, have have come about with all these fancy names like Labradoodles, um, Cabby Poos, etc., which then come with this very high price tag of the puppy. But if you go to any rescue shelter across the UK, you can you can find a crossbreed. Um, so 
that's that's very much my point of view is that rescue is best and, and, and adopt to save these animals from from living their lives in kennels or, or, or just even just being put to sleep just because they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, I mean, you've got um, quite a lot of experience of, ado of adopting dogs like these yourselves. I mean, listeners will have heard the odd bark in the background as we've been talking, um, which is Olive Dog, um, I think it was. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. Naughty Olive. Yeah, na naughty, naughty Olive Dog, uh, who has been uh, ushered out of the room and she wants to know what's going on in inside here. Um, but they're, they're incredibly loving, caring creatures. And I think there's, there's no there's no problem with rescue dogs, really, is there? Um, like It's just they're, they're just sort of, sort of dogs that sort of need a second chance, really. And I think there's a great opportunity to get involved and support a, a good cause and sort of save these animals um, from further suffering if you can rescue a dog over getting a dog from new, as it were. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's an incredibly rewarding um, experience as well because um, a lot of these these well not all of them but some of these dogs will have they've gone through quite difficult experiences for instance um dogs that lived on puppy farms so uh, we've, we've mentioned it a couple of times so just to to sort of explain um a puppy farm is basically factory farming of of dogs um so they're they're kept in small enclosures normally on sawdust um and bread and bread and bread and bread and bread um until they can breed no more and then they get rid of the the dogs the puppies um, don't tend to receive any kind of health care in any way, no preventative care with vaccinations or anything like that. Um, and then they're sold off in a, in a variety of ways, um, including before before now anyway, um, in, in pet shops, um, via sort of free ads. These are the sort of dogs that tend to be sold off a, a motorway junction and because the, the seller will make up some kind of excuse as to why that's more convenient for them than going to their house um, mm. and, and other situations like that. Um, and these puppies in most situations are, are very, very unwell and have come from very, very unwell um, parents as well. Um, there's a lot of, of really good work going on at the moment against puppy farming. Um, Mark Abraham, the TV vet, as he's known, um, has been doing some really great work on, on Lucy's Law. Um, which is, is just coming into effect at the moment. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so to, to go back to the point of rescues though, um, the puppy farm dogs, for instance, the, these dogs have in a lot of situations never seen the light of day, they've never been on a lead, they've never lived in a house. Um, and to help them become dogs basically um, is, a, is a highly, highly rewarding process. And these, these dogs basically get a, a second chance at, at life because of these amazing rescues that are, are taking them on and saving them from, from death basically um, and getting them into, into homes. Um, so to, to see a dog turn around from, from being very scared of, of, of everything and not really knowing how to behave basically to, to being able to run around off lead and, and play with other dogs and, and enjoy love and affection is is really quite a rewarding and a amazing experience. Yeah, definitely. I I, I I I I would totally agree with that. From what I've experienced to just seeing you and the dogs that you've um, taken on over over the years. I mean, we should probably just put a footnote here to say that if you do ever consider um, getting a puppy, even though we advise rescue dogs, do make sure that you do all the necessary checks to make sure you know exactly where this puppy's come from. And as Kate says, don't pick up a puppy from the side of a road. Um, make sure you visit where this, this dog has been uh, bred and make sure it's an accredited 
Bruder, because there are accreditations out there, aren't there, Kate, and things like this. You need to make sure you really do um, know what you're getting involved with, because as you say, there are so many um, issues with this puppy farming and um, separating dogs from their mothers before that it's it's right to separate them and so forth. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is where a lot of behavioural issues can come from as well, is is, is where the, it goes from at the early stages. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you, if you do want to go for, for, for buying a puppy, um, then yeah, do, do, do your research and make sure that you absolutely see the mum with the puppy as well. Yeah. Um, see the other litter mates, see that they've definitely had their vaccinations and, and flea and worming, etc. Um, and don't feel just because you've gone to someone house, someone's house to see, to see a puppy that you have to then buy that puppy then and there. You can you can go away and think about it. Um, people often feel like when they do see these dogs that they even know have probably come from a puppy farm, they feel that they need to they need to buy them, they need to take them away from that horrible situation. Um, and that's a very natural reaction. But the issue is then that you are fueling these puppy farms because you're giving them the money and you're letting them carry on. Um, so so step back from it and and report them instead of giving them your money. Yeah, um, very much. I think. That's a very strong message to end on now. I mean, we, we've had our half an hour or so of this podcast. I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, I know I've learned a lot, Josh. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you have too. Absolutely. It's, um, it's always good when we have guests on because we learn so much. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we haven't even covered half of the questions that I had to ask you, actually, Kate. Um, so we might have to, well, get you back on again at some point and maybe get a few, a few people together, I think, because I think it would be really fascinating for you to chat to Emma, actually, about... Um, the language and stuff that we use around um, animals. Um, so yeah, um, thank you very much for coming on and uh, sharing your passion for animals with us and uh, teaching us all a few things. Um, yeah, it's been enjoyable. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. For more podcasts and interesting chat, visit inthezonepodcast.com.